hunger is only natural. Your appetite was designed in... being seated, I want to thank Randy for filling in on short notice last week. I've often said that a preacher should be able to deliver a sermon at the drop of a hat, and he should always carry a hat with him. And uh, I, uh, I was not present in the room, but I did sit out in the lobby and I watched our televangelist on the uh, screen out there, and uh, I was um, very impressed, and I want to thank Randy for that. Uh, um, just so you know, I was listening. It was about Samuel, who was in the tabernacle, and he heard his name being called, right? Uh, he said, Samuel, Samuel, and he got up and, and had this marvelous encounter. Um, uh, I can identify with that. The same thing has happened to me. Uh, not, not quite the same, but it, it was close. I was sitting in the, in the family room, and I heard my name being called, Wayne, Wayne. There's nobody in the house. Wayne, Wayne. And I got up and I went into the kitchen and there was a bag of potato chips saying, <laughs> Wayne. And, and uh, I took that as a sign that uh, I, was, I was to be obedient in that regard. Uh, you know, temptation is one of those things that uh, comes to us in many ways, in many guises. And, um, we might even say at, at differing levels, although ultimately it all comes down to our obedience to the Father, but uh, temptation comes to us. I, I have more experience on the failure side of temptation than on the, uh, shall we say, the victory side of, of temptation. Um, it doesn't take much for me to uh, turn a bag of chips into a, a, a delightful snack or to, um, you know, um, I don't know who invented Girl Scout cookies, but it wasn't a Christian. It could not have been. <laughs> I, I don't know. And, but sadly, it is also when the tempter says to me, didn't God promise always to be with you, never to leave you? Does it really matter what you do right now? Won't he still love you later, too? Didn't he say he would give his angels charge over you and his grace would lift you up? I know more about yielding. I know more about failure. When the tempter comes and says, you don't have to be a total sellout. But wouldn't your life be a little bit better with a little bit of worshiping the world? If maybe you made a small deal with the things of the world and allowed them to become important to you. I know more about failure in temptation than I care to admit. Temptation has been a part of the human condition a part of human history from the first days of our first parents. We know that in the garden, Eve 
looked at the fruit. She decided that it was very nice fruit. She decided that her hunger had been given to her by God, that it was a natural appetite, that it was something that needed to be taken care of. Surely God did not want her to suffer in her hunger, and the fruit was certainly there uh, in order to satisfy that hunger. She looked at it, saw it was a delight to the eyes, and before you knew it, she had partaken of the fruit in contravention to the commandments of God. Not only that, she found for herself a willing compatriot, an ally to join her, that once having sinned, they might together never turn back again. She decided that the most important thing in her life at that moment was gratifying herself. And the serpent, being more crafty than any other creature, knew just how to put it to her that she would take the ball of temptation and run with it. Temptation has sabotaged the human life ever since then, whether it has been David following the lust of the flesh and then engaging in murder, whether it has been Solomon chasing after pleasure and finding his life empty, whether it has been a king Ahab longing to please his wife Jezebel, willing to do whatever it took to make her happy, finding out that he was in violation of God's will, whether it was Herod tempted to power such that he would have the innocent slain and the small children killed so that he might not have a rival to the throne, whether it was Pilate giving in the, into the mob's temptation, wash his hands of the whole thing, pretend that he had no role in the crucifixion of Christ. No one has escaped temptation. No one is left alone by the tempter. The scripture tells us that Jesus himself was tempted in all points as we are. Not the same temptation in the specifics. Jesus, I doubt, was tempted to cheat on his income tax. Jesus, I doubt, was tempted uh, to spend too much time in front of the television set. There were temptations that are ours now in particular, but the dynamics of temptation have always been there, and Jesus faced the same dynamics of temptation in every aspect just as we have and are. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit of God into the wilderness. And there he was fasting. There he was concentrating on his relationship with the Father. There he was spending sweet time in communion with God. And in that very moment, when he was closest to the Father, when the things of the world had been shuttered out, when all the things that would distract us from our relationship uh, with the Father were done away with, there in that moment of keen focus, on God. The tempter came to him at that very moment and sought to pry Jesus away from the will of the Father. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That word tempted means tested, to have the character and the makeup put on display. This was not temptation so that Jesus could discover himself, find out if he really was divine, find out if he really was committed to the Father. This was not a test so that the Father could find out if Jesus really was worthy of going to the cross. 
This was Jesus being tempted so that we might see the very character and the nature of Christ. This Jesus who was tempted in all points as we are, yet he was tempted without sinning. And all oh, the glorious joy that is ours to know that because Jesus triumphed over temptation, we have the victory. It is not ours. It doesn't belong to us. Try to work up all the strength you can. You will fail before the power of temptation. Summon up all the self-help talk and all the pep talks and halftime lectures you're going to give yourself about how you're going to do well. Try all the reprogramming of the mind that you like and you will not be able to outwit the tempter. Decide that you have risen above sin in your own life and walk in the pride of knowing that you can handle it. And the tempter will come to you at exactly the right moment in exactly the right way to display exactly your weakness before God. The victory is not ours, but the victory belongs to Jesus Christ. And by faith in Christ, by the power of his death and of his resurrection, the victory he has won over temptation is ours as we put our lives in him. Now here's the thing. If Jesus himself was tempted, you and I also will be tempted. I guarantee it. I don't even have to be a biblical prophet to tell you you are going to be tempted. Every last one of us. And that's why I would say to my sons, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, and he has your name in mind. Oh, be sober-minded and watchful. That's why I would say to my deacons, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. To my deacons, I would say the moment you are proud of your righteous attainment, the moment yet you take delight in what you have accomplished in church work, the moment you take delight that someone has recognized a gift in you, take heed lest you fall. It is why I would say to our Sunday school teachers that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. It is why I would say to our young people, choose this day whom you will serve. Do not wait for the day of battle and the moment of temptation, but choose now whom you will serve, because the temptation is coming, and you will come to the moment when the tempter's power is so evident to you, and your weakness and frailty is so much convinced and impressed upon your mind. The temptation will come your way. It is not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when and how. From the oldest among us to the youngest, from the weakest to the strongest, from the greatest to the smallest, 
There is temptation coming. There is the daily temptation to sin that afflicts us all and assaults us constantly in our spiritual walk. And there's the temptation by Satan that comes especially upon the believer in Christ. Do you remember when Jesus, just before he went to the cross, he said to Peter, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Jesus said, Peter, the devil himself wants to get a hold of you and shake you up and tear you to pieces. But the next verse in Luke 23, 32, Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. The Son of God who is seated at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us. Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. The book of Revelation chapter 12 tells us that Satan, that great dragon cast upon the earth, has gone off to make war on those who keep the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Satan is after you. Now understand, Satan doesn't care about you. He really doesn't care about you. He cares only about wounding the heart of the God who loves you. He cares only about frustrating the will of the Father who has designed you. He cares only about prying you away from the love and a relationship with the Heavenly Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Satan cares only about wounding the heart of God and he cares nothing about you. If he can pry you away from God by making you happy, by making you prosperous, by making you fulfilled, if he can pry you away from God by giving you every luxury on earth, he will do it. And if he can take you away from the Father by inflicting pain upon you in the body and pain upon you in the soul, if he can pry you away from the Father by making your life miserable, he will do it. He just doesn't care how he does it. He cares only that he pries you away from the Father who loves you because he is striving to wound the heart of God. That is why Satan is after you. He cannot stand the Father. And so Jesus, in his own life early in ministry, went into a wilderness place led by the Holy Spirit, and there he was tempted by the devil. You're familiar with the temptations, no doubt. The devil said, you're hungry, why don't you get something to eat? Turn the stones into bread. You're worried about how God will work in your life? Just jump off a high pinnacle of the temple and God will take care of you and everybody will take notice. You want to bypass the cross? Just worship me a little bit and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And to all these temptations, Jesus stood resolute and victorious. And by the power of the word of God, he put Satan to flight. In that first temptation, Satan said, Jesus, view your hunger and your appetite as being more important than God's will. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, and now the, the construction of that isn't doubting or questioning. It's sort of like, since you're the son of God, for the sake of argument, agreeing, you're the son of God. Now, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. After all, hunger is only natural. Your appetite was designed in you. 
This hunger that you feel, this desiring, this longing that you have for bread, why God designed and created you for that. Why don't you just go and feed that hunger and that appetite? You don't need to worry about this thing about fasting and this thing about the Father and this thing about doing the will of God. You don't need to worry about that. You've got the ability, you've got the opportunity, you've got the hunger. Why don't you feed yourself? Oh, how often have Christians justified a ruinous surrender to temptation on the basis of the fact that I was hungry. I had an appetite. I had a desire. And I couldn't trust God to take care of it. And I couldn't trust others to take care of it. And so in sinful rebellion, I pursued my own hunger and appetite for my own ends. The devil came to Jesus and said, why don't you turn these stones into bread? After all, how bad could that be? Bread itself is not sinful. It's not a sinful thing to be a bread maker, to be a baker. Actually, isn't making bread a good thing? Aren't you just being a little too harsh right now? But Jesus for 40 days had focused his eyes upon the Father. And for 40 days he had given his thought and his mind and his body to nothing but the Father. And when the words of the devil came into his life, they did not come as some melodious friend enticing him to some good thing, but they came as the grating cacophony of sinful temptation. It was totally out of place. It made no sense in the mind of Christ. It had no home in the heart of Christ. It found no persuasion in the person of Christ. When the devil spoke, he got no hearing because Jesus was focused upon the Father and the Father alone. We can just hear, saying, hear Satan saying, come on, a little bread, what's the harm? But Jesus, citing scripture, said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's an interesting scripture to bring up right there. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy where God is talking to the children of Israel towards the uh, end part of their wandering in the wilderness. And he says, look, I gave you manna. Every day I fed you. I gave you a commandment of how, about how to uh, harvest the manna and how to prepare it and how to store it and, uh, for the Sabbath. I gave you all the instructions about how to use and to eat and be fed by this manna. Now look, the reason I did that, I gave you bread and I gave you commandment so that you would know that you don't live by bread alone, but you live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You live by the commandments of God, not by bread alone. Oh, today, when you retire to your lunch, after thanking and praising God that you have food in front of you at all, unlike the vast majority of human beings on the planet today, you have such an abundance that you're working hard and paying extra money to eat less. That's how ridiculous the provision of God is for us in this country. When you sit down and see that bread in front of you, understand, you do not live by that bread, but you live by obedience to the commandment of God who gave you that bread. Bow and give him thanks and commit even the bread on your plate to the glory of God. Jesus said, we don't live by bread alone, 
but we live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We should notice the logic of this temptation. You're hungry, it's only natural. Feed it. You're tired and you're weary, you need rest. Ignore God for a moment, relax. This that is before you as a temptation arises out of good things. Why not partake? How thankful we are that our Savior rose up in power to defeat the tempter with but a single word. How grateful we are that when the temptation came through the crowds who would come and make him king because he had multiplied the loaves and he had given them bread and they came and they said, Jesus, we want you to be our king. You'll be head of government. You'll be head of state. You'll be head of commerce. You'll be head of agriculture. You'll be head of everything. But just feed us. Give us bread every day. We'll follow you everywhere. And Jesus knew that these people who wanted to make him king would not live by bread alone but needed to live by the word of God. How thankful we are that he did not give in to the temptation to use bread as a shortcut to sovereignty. How thankful we are that on the cross when he said, I thirst, he remained on the cross for us. So we see the response to temptation. Jesus said, yeah, there's hunger. Yeah, there's needs, there's appetite, but there's the Word of God. And God who provided manna to the Israelites will feed us sufficiently to glorify Him. So blessed are those who hunger and who thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And the second temptation... Satan came to Jesus and said, why don't you let God be your security blanket? After all, isn't that why God is there? Isn't God supposed to take care of you? Why don't you just cash in on that? After all, there's so much to this love and grace of God. Why don't you just let God be loving and gracious? And so the devil came to him and took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. We're not exactly sure where that is, whether it was on a part of the building of the temple itself or on the temple mount. There is a, a corner of the temple mount that is elevated some 300 feet, we are told, at that time. And the, the devil took him to a pinnacle of the temple, a high place, and he said to him, if you're the son of God, again, since you're the son of God, throw yourself down. You see, the devil had gotten the hint by now. Jesus had responded with the word of God. You, 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 you don't live by bread alone. You live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You live by God's word. And so the devil said, ah, I got scripture for you on this one, Jesus. Isn't it written, he'll command his angels concerning you? And didn't he write also, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone? Jesus, you got scripture to back you up. Why don't you take it? like you pulled it out of a biblical fortune cookie and wave it in the face of God. You must take care of me. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Satan, uh, in one sense he was saying, Jesus, why don't you just make a big splash? 
Uh, throw yourself off the temple, and when people see angels guiding you down to a safe landing, they will be so impressed, they will follow you, and, and, and isn't that what it's all about? And that's one way to read it. That may have been the temptation. But I think the other temptation may have been this. Jesus, why don't you make God take care of you because you've got a road ahead of you with no place to lay your head. You're going to travel this road and you won't have anything but the coat on your back. Jesus, you're going to wander from village to village and, and you're going to get hungry and you're going to encounter opposition. You know, if you threw yourself off the, off the pinnacle of the tabernacle, God would take care of you in this marvelous way. Everybody would be impressed and they'd all start coming to your seminars. But Jesus, why don't you just live that way? Why don't you let God be your personal valet? Let him take care of you because isn't that why God is there? Isn't that really what it's all about, that he would serve you? The temptation was to bypass daily trust. It was a very subtle temptation to force the Father's hand. But Jesus had his eyes fixed elsewhere. He wasn't looking to the pinnacle of a temple. He was looking to a cross high on a lonely hill. He was not looking for angels to come and rescue him. He was looking that he had come to rescue us. Yes, his foot would not be dashed against the stone. Yes, the angels would take charge over him. But only when he first had gone to the cross and died for us. You see, the Father is always in charge. He is always sovereign. But God does not promise good to us so that we can cash it in, but rather he promised good to us that we might be found obedient. He promises good to us so that we might be faithful. He promised to, promises to care for us so that we might go forth in the boldness of faith and trust in him. Life is not about our testing God to see if he is true. Life is about God testing us that we might glorify him with lives of obedience. Oh, later on the crowds would say, let him come down. Let him save himself. The thief beside him would say, you're the Messiah. Why don't you save yourself? And by the way, save us with you. Why don't you demonstrate you, King of the Jews, come down from the cross and we believe. Oh, how thankful I am that Jesus did not give in to the tempter's voice coming through the religious leaders in a mocking crowd, but he stayed on the cross and was obedient unto death for me and for you. The temptation never quit. Here we have Jesus tempted in the wilderness by Satan, but it didn't stop there. You remember that in the midst of his ministry, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
Oh, the temptation that came to treat God as if he must take care of us and satisfy us first. It leads to all kinds of self-centered attitudes and delusions. Well, in this third temptation of the Gospel of Matthew, Satan said, well, if you won't give in to the appetite of the body and you won't give in to the aggrandizement of the soul, then why don't you just think a little bit about compromise? Why don't you think a little bit about mixing in something else with the sovereignty of God? And so the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, to, to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Isn't that why you came, Jesus? Didn't you want the kingdoms of the earth to fall down before you? Didn't you want to possess all the glory of all the kingdoms of the earth? Isn't that why you're here, Jesus? And we can just hear Jesus saying, Satan, I didn't come to gain the kingdoms of the world, but I came to bring the kingdom of God to earth. All oh, human beings have been fascinated by this Faustian deal with the devil, and too many of us have too often in subtle ways, overtly and covertly, have made subtle deals with the devil, a little bit of worship and a, for the sake of a little bit of gain. We have made a deal with the devil that we would compromise. We wouldn't go overboard. We wouldn't be fanatical about the sovereignty of God thing that we might have a little bit of gain promised by a devil who does not own a thing anyway. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What profit do you have if you gained every kingdom on earth and lost your soul? This was a temptation, in a sense, to a shortcut from the cross. But more, it was a temptation away from the true goal of why Christ came, to bring us to the Father. And so Jesus replies to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. By the way, this is actually the answer for every temptation. Whatever it is, however it comes to you, this coming week when temptation comes your way, here's the simple answer. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Not yourself, not your appetite, not your desires, not your hurts, not your wounds, not your bitternesses. But you shall serve the Lord your God. You'll worship him and glorify him with your life. That is the answer for all temptation. And so the devil left him. Behold, angels came and they were ministering to him. Beloved, hang in there in temptation. Hang in there in temptation. Eyes fixed upon Christ. Heart sold out to the Father. The angels are on their way. Just hold out a little bit longer, and the victory is yours. Well, what can we extract from this? We don't face these precise temptations, but we are tempted, and we are tested. We are tempted to give in to the 
appetite of the flesh, we are tempted to give in uh, to the um, desire to compromise the things of God. We're, we're tempted to view God as though he ought to do our bidding rather than we do his. Let me suggest we bring from this that the word of God is our fortress against the adversary's attack. This is what Jesus used, the word of God. Yes, the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and the Holy Spirit is the one that keeps us by the power of God unto the day of salvation. It is the Holy Spirit that is wor at work within us to keep us safe in the hollow of the Father's hand. But what does the Holy Spirit use? When you have studied the Scriptures, when you have learned the Word of God, when you have memorized the text, when you have memorized what God has said to us in Scripture, and that inhabits your heart and it's in your mind, then the Holy Spirit with ease reaches into your heart and your mind and brings to the forefront of your thinking the Word of God to combat temptation. The Word of God is our fortress against the attack of the adversary. Secondly, let me suggest that the best defenses are built before the battle is joined. Oh yes, we can be like a scene out of Les Mis. Haven't seen it, but I throw that in so you know I'm culturally astute. You know, but like something out of Les Miserables. To the barricades! And we run into the streets and we find old wagons and pieces of furniture and barrels and we pile it all up in the streets hoping to stop the cannon. God, by His grace, sometimes saves us when we're behind a hastily erected barricade. But oh, how much better to have a fortress erected into which we might retreat where the power of God has been existent and working in our lives. And we know every nook and cranny of the defense. And we are kept safe by the power of God in a fortress built early before the battle begins. It is better that we hide God's word in our hearts that we would not sin against him. And thirdly, let me suggest to you this. Satan is better at temptation than you are at resistance. He's been doing this a lot longer than you have. He's dealt with people a lot smarter than you are. He's dealt with people who have been more clever. He's dealt with people who've been more religious. Whatever you say on your own strength, he's heard before. The devil's a lot better at it, and he can last a lot longer than you can. So we are not able on our own, nor should we trust in our own understanding. See, even the child of God fails. But the Father still loves and cares and rescues and lifts us up. And by the grace of God, we walk and we march in the footsteps of Christ. The devil's better at it than you are. And that's why you need faith in Christ every day, every moment. You see, when you look at Jesus and you see him, he focused on the will of the Father, that when temptation comes, Jesus so focused on the will of God, so focused on the glory of the Father to be made manifest in the cross, that nothing could sidetrack him. And so when we see Jesus before us and our hearts and our minds and our affections are set on things above where Christ is, 
and we are walking proactively. We are walking positively towards the glory of God in Christ. Then when the tempter speaks to us, it comes as an alien voice. When the tempter speaks to us, it comes into us in a language that we have long forgotten, having learned the language of the glory of God. Let me give you two scriptures in closing. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown up, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And this verse, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Every victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onward and dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Shun evil companions. Bad language, disdain. God's name hold in reverence, nor take it in vain. Be thoughtful and earnest, kind-hearted and true. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. To him that o'ercometh, God giveth the crown. Through faith we will conquer, though often cast down. He who is our Savior, our strength will renew. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? And Father, we know that Satan is crouching at the door, seeking to harm your children. We recognize the overt temptations, but it is the subtle temptation of self-will leading to self-delusion that threatens us most often. Lord, grant us the courage of faith to set our eyes on things above, to have our whole attention fixed on Jesus so that in the moment when temptation comes, we will be found wrapped in the power of your Holy Spirit, 
and kept safe by the power of your grace. For your glory, I pray for victory over temptation in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We sing our closing hymn. As we do so, the call of God's grace goes out. Quickly and obediently respond as God would touch your heart.